warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am present in for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we just want to confess that it is your word, and so we submit to it because we are your people. And we ask that your spirit would come now and help us to receive your word, to understand it, to have the ears that you are... The, the ears to hear what you are speaking to us collectively, the, just the, the, the age-old, timeless truths of your scripture, and also what you are personally speaking to us this morning and applying, and, and, and that you want to change us this morning. So give us ears to hear and hearts to receive, that we may repent and we may respond and leave here, moving closer to you. So we ask for that, and we, we, uh, we believe your spirit is here to help, and I ask that you would do that through me, that you would help me, Father, to, to deliver your word. Speak through me this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, um, we all want to get better at life, right? And, and that's, you know, I think that's just kind of an understood thing generally. Some, some of you have specifics, right, that, that, that you're struggling with in this season that, that you would like to, you know, be better at. Others, you know, or maybe we all have each. There's, there's general things about us that we know we constantly, you know, need to be improving on. And, and, that, and I'm talking, you know, generally uh, and spiritually. Uh, and, and we do that in, in different ways. And you all have your own, you know, tools and practices of how to kind of grow and, and challenge yourself. But one of the ways that's always been common, I think is increasingly common in today's world of YouTube and podcasts is we find somebody who's sort of been there, done that, and we want to learn from them, right? And I'm not saying this is wrong. This is what we do. Like we find somebody who's kind of done what we would like to do and we want to, we want to hear their story. We want to receive their wisdom, right? So if you're in, in business, you own your own business, you want to find somebody who's done that well, right? And if they wrote a book, you might buy it. You might listen to it. If they're on a podcast, if they're being interviewed, you, it's, it's encouraging. It's, it's uh, inspiring to hear their stories and, and learn from them, right? And, you know, if, if you are a leader with an organization, you want to find somebody who's, who's done that well. If you are, you know, trying to be the best mom that you can be, you want to find somebody who's, who seems to have done that well. I want to listen to them. I want to want to sign up for the wisdom, and on and on it goes. It just whatever applies, and we do that often. But but here's what I bet we we don't do. Nobody subscribed to the podcast of the guy who's been to prison multiple times, right? I want to learn how to get where that guy is, right? Nobody's buying that book, are they? And yet, that's what we're reading today. That's what we just read. Is our brother Paul? He's locked up yet again. It's not the first time, and it won't be the last time that this guy is in prison, 
Uh, house arrest, we believe at this time, later that will get increasing until the point that he loses his life. But, but he is the one speaking to us and, and, and delivering prison. To, to, and and, and, and if, as if that's not bad enough that this guy's writing from prison to, to teach us how to follow Jesus, he starts out with a really radical statement that says what? What's the first thing we read today? I rejoice in my sufferings. Listen, you need to have a reaction to that. I understand sometimes we just read the Bible and it's the Bible and we're used to the Bible saying strange things, but that's a strange statement, okay? Like you should have a, like a, really? Bro? Like that's, 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 that's different, right? I rejoice in my sufferings. Like what, what, what are you, like it, what, is Paul some kind of baptized masochist here? Like does he enjoy that suffering or is he, or is he just, you know, kind of that, you know, overzealous Christian? Maybe you've been around somebody like that, that they just kind of, no matter what's going on, they seem to have that smile on their face and they just say, well, brother, praise the Lord, you know, and God is good and, and he gives and takes away. And, and, and I don't know about you, but sometimes those people just like, I want to punch them in the throat. Like, I'm like, I, I get it. What you're saying is true. But right now I'm hurting and you're making me mad. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and so there's, sometimes we have, you know, the Ned Flanders like Christian that you're like, man, there has to be more going on with you. And maybe, maybe not. So is that Paul or, or is there, is actually Paul um, displaying for us the, the secret to um, how we're actually supposed to live life? Like, is, is Paul the odd one out here, or is he actually the one who is embodying what Jesus said it would be like to actually follow him? Like, is Paul the one that should be exposed by his strangeness, or should Paul's posture and his testimony actually expose us for not being more like him? Because here's the deal. Jesus told us, Jesus told us that if we were going to follow him, it means we're going to come and die. He says, you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross daily. Right? Jesus regularly, would, when people would come follow him, he'd say, hey, well, you need to know, like foxes have den, dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So what you're signing up for is, is a life of homeless suffering. Like it's not going to be easy. Jesus tells us, hey, you're going to have trouble in this world. Don't be surprised by that, but rather take heart because I've overcome the world. Like over and over again, Jesus makes it clear that a, a call to follow him is a call to give up our life. He says, you want to find your life, lay it down for my sake, and you'll, you'll find it. But if you're trying to, to save your life and get all that you can out of it, you're going to end up losing it. So actually, yes, this is paradoxical, and yes, this should give us reaction, but Paul is actually displaying for us... Um, the, the secret, not to our best life now, but in a way, yes. Because if we're going to get start living our best life now, the first thing we're going to learn from Paul is we have to start living for the next life. That if we want our best life now, it's not going to look like the way the culture thinks it's going to look with, with prosperity, wealth, and health. But actually, that we start if we want our best life now, it means we start living for the next life now. right? And so Paul is going to, to display for us this peculiar posture and position and, and his mindset, the title of the sermon is a missionary mindset or a missional and mature, like, and, and Paul's going to display that for us, but it's not just for Paul. It's not just for those kind of, you know, really, 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 you know, varsity Christians. No, this is actually what it should look like for all of us to follow 
Jesus. So as Paul says this, I rejoice in my sufferings. That's not the point that we would all learn to rejoice in our sufferings. Actually, it, that's more an effect of what we should be seeking. The, the objective is that we should learn that we should want to be mature Christians following Jesus. And when we do that, it will change our perspective. It will change our life in such a way that on the other side of that, in an increasing manner, we too will be able to say that we rejoice in our sufferings. And so we don't start there. We don't just put our head down and go, okay, I'm going to figure out how to smile and rejoice in our sufferings. No, no, we start with a shift, right? And so that is what Paul is going to display for us. And this is in the context of a larger uh, you know, letter and, and explanation that Paul is writing here. And he's talking about uh, his life as a pastor, as a church planner, as a missionary that, that is going into cultures who don't know about Jesus and telling them about Jesus and planning churches so that they can continue to grow in their knowledge of Jesus. And so Paul is saying, as I do this, these are some of the effects. And, and so he's going to walk out. We're going to hear from him the longing that he has. And actually, what we should share in as well is a missionary mindset will actually lead us to live this life in a way that when we do encounter suffering, we won't be destroyed by it. Rather, we will be able to see a purpose beyond it and through it. So the first point is that we have to actually decide to follow Jesus. How many of you all sang that hymn when you were younger or maybe not that long ago? I have decided to follow Jesus, right? No turning back. It was an invitation hymn at my church growing, uh, growing up, right? Uh, it, was, it was regular. It was that and just as I am. At, at the end of every sermon, it was uh, just as I am or I have decided to follow Jesus. And, and as I've told you all before, I was like the only non-Christian there as a kid. So I just knew they were singing at me and waiting for me to walk the aisle. And praise God, I finally did. But the, I've decided to follow Jesus is the hymn that we have sung. And it's something that we would say, but, but did you actually decide to follow him or did you just invite him to follow you? Because the way the gospel is presented too often is, hey, you've got, a, you've got this one problem you can't fix is where you're going to go when you die. So let Jesus fix that problem and then pray to him about your other stuff and you just keep going along your way. So that's what so many of us have done is we're just living our life, right? We're doing our thing. We have our objectives. We have our hopes. We have the things we want to accomplish. And we hope that Jesus will come alongside and, and help us with that. And when those things aren't going well, then who do we pray to? We pray to Jesus, like, help us, Lord. Like, why isn't this working? What, what, why is this not happening? And, and, and so we see from Paul here that Paul's life was radically changed. Radically changed. Like, from this direction, he thought he was serving God. He thought he was doing the right thing, and he was actually persecuting Christians and trying to squash this movement that was Christianity in the church. And, and the Lord met him on the road to Damascus, knocked him off of his horse, and radically and forever changed his life and changed his purpose. And Paul didn't go back to his normal life and add in some Sunday services and some offering here and there and hope that God you know, helped continue promote him in the pharisaical suit of, of the office of you know, religious leader. No, 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 he completely and totally surrendered his life and 180 different direction, this is what I'm doing now. And it totally changed Paul's life. So some of us, we, we've got to start there. We actually have to decide to follow Jesus. That implies that the direction of your life will change when you turn over the reins to him. Does that mean we all become vocational 
you know, missionaries and pastors? No. The Bible's really clear that the, the church exists as a body, and there are some who are called into that particular vocational ministry, right, that we're going to receive the paycheck from the church. But actually, all of us are the ones doing the ministry. That the, the church works as a body. As you all serve and do your thing out in, in, the, in the world, you are ministering. And as we come together as a church, we each have a different gifting, each have a different function, and we minister and advance the kingdom of God together in that. And so, uh, the, but we have to first realize that to follow Jesus literally means we will be following him and going where he goes, doing what he is doing, not just continuing on our way and hoping that he blesses our efforts. No, no, we surrender our life, we make him the Lord. When we baptize people here, we ask a few questions, but one of them, have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? And that means... You're going to go wherever he says to go, and you're going to do whatever he says to do. And that can sound just like religious language that we throw out, but apply that to your life. Think about it. Has that been true of you? Have you actually decided to follow Jesus? And if so, that means, like Paul, verse 25 says, I became a minister. That was a a radical change in Paul's life. I became a minister according to the stewardship that God has given him. So here's the deal. Yes, Paul has a particular ministry that he's given to steward in the advancement of God's kingdom, but that doesn't mean Paul is the only missionary. We are all missionaries. We are all, like if you're here and and you're a follower of Jesus, that means you are a missionary. You are a minister. It's not just for those that are on the church staff. It's all of us. And so we need to shift that, that mindset to know that, okay, we are called to make him known. We are called to be on mission, and we're all missionaries. And you all have been given a, a, a mission field and a mission to steward. Paul had been given a mission field to steward. He was to, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. That's a big task, and Paul did some work, right? And we are to be grateful for what he did, the books that he wrote, the churches that he planted. We, look, we could trace our lineage all the way back to the work that Paul did in, in spreading the gospel to the Gentiles. And so yours may not look exactly like him. In fact, it won't. But you, too, have been given a ministry to steward. You say, well, I don't know what that looks like. Well, do you have a family? You say, well, my kids are grown. It doesn't matter. You got grandkids, you got friends. Like, do you have a family? That's, that's, that's like ground zero, first layer of, of, of who you should be ministering to. That's who you are called to steward. That's the ministry that God has given you. So yes, you are a missionary, and it may be simply and, and primarily to your family. I don't think we've done a good job of, of exalting and talking about the work that, that moms and dads are doing in the home to raise up disciples. We talk about making disciples, and we're always just thinking about reaching people who aren't in the church, but man, we need to not neglect that because we've got this mass exodus of kids that are leaving the faith, leaving the church after they graduate, we've got to make sure that we're not neglecting our first responsibility to disciple the kids that are in our home. Some of you moms have given your life to that, um, and and we've not done a good job of holding that up with the the value that we should have here in the church. Some of you dads have given, like, uh, but but man, we talked about this podcast that was released this last week, like, yeah, God's going to hold the men accountable for their home, but so much of that discipleship, the women are responsible for. The women are going to be executing and, and spending more time with and teaching. And praise God for that. And you need to not minimize that, but rather lean into that. Beyond that, do you have a workplace? Do you have some level of influence around somebody? And the answer is yes. 
right? I don't care if you work from home and you only Zoom with a couple people, like you might need to go to a coffee shop and expand that a little bit. But, but, but regardless, you have some level of influence, right? Maybe your kid plays a sport and so you're around other parents of that sport, right? Maybe you go to a gym, maybe you go wherever you go, like God has put you where you are in the neighborhood that you live in on purpose for a reason and that is your ministry to steward. He has called you to be a minister where you are in this season. It's not an accident that you live where you live in the time that you live in. It's not an accident. He puts you there on purpose by his sovereignty. So this is Paul talks about verse 21, or 29 rather. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all the energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul has a purpose and, and Jesus doesn't just send him out on that purpose and hope that he does well and check in. Jesus is actively working through his spirit in Paul to accomplish his purpose, right? And so that's what he has called all of us. He's got a ministry for you. And when you are living for that ministry, he is working in you. He is, he is toiling, he is, his energy, his, the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. And one of the things he's doing is using you to advance his kingdom. Some of you, though, some of you are struggling in a mission that Jesus didn't send you on. You realize that? Some of you are struggling in life, and you're wondering why Jesus isn't helping you, why the Spirit isn't comforting you, and, and the answer might be is he never sent you on that mission. You need to evaluate that. You need to think about that. You may be struggling and toiling in such a way that, 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 that you're wondering, why is this not working? Why am I not accomplishing this? Why haven't I got this promotion? Why haven't I made this, this cut? Why haven't I got to this level? Why aren't, you know, I don't know what it is, but you need to examine that. You need to lay your life out on the table and say, Lord, what, what is it that you've called me to and what is it you've not called me to? Because if you're just, you know, putting your head down and grinding at something that, that the Lord hasn't called you to, then, man, you might be toiling and struggling in a mission that he's not with you on. Now, he's not going to abandon you. He still loves you, and he's going to gently, he might actually thwart that thing to get your attention to drag you over here, right? And that's okay, but you need to examine that, and you need to, you need to make sure that what he has called you to is where you are giving your energy, and then, as we'll see later, you, you can take comfort that he's coming alongside and toiling and, and laboring and giving energy with you, working through you. Okay, so you got to decide to follow Jesus. That's the first thing. And then secondly, you've got to uh, live for Jesus and for others, right? When you decide to follow Jesus, that doesn't just mean it's all about you. It means you're living for Jesus and for others. So stop, you know, navel gazing, if you will. So often we can't even begin to think about rejoicing and suffering because we're only thinking about ourselves. And how can we rejoice? This isn't how I wanted my life to go. My life is hard. My life sneaks. Like you ever been around somebody, they just can't empathize with, with somebody else that's suffering, right? Somebody shares something with them and, and their first response is, yeah, but you know, listen to what's going on with me. Like I can't care about what you're going through because I'm going through this, right? And, and Paul says, man, as long as you're in that perspective, you're, you're never going to be able to survive, let alone rejoice in suffering. But what he says is we got to live our life for Jesus and for others. The opening line of the, one of the most popular books ever written and sold, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, starts out by saying what? It's not about you. It's not about you. And that sounds mean, and it sounds counterintuitive to this cult, but, but no, no, that's what actually everybody's longing to hear, right? There's nonprofits, there's different organizations, there's different purposes in the world that are drawing people in because we are, long, we are made for and we long to have a purpose that is outside of ourselves. Well, the Bible doesn't need you to speculate about what that is. It makes it really clear. Either for Jesus 
and you live for others. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings, verse 24, for what? For your sake. Well, who's the your? This is the churches that he's written. And, and I want to be clear, when I come back to this, we talked about this earlier in the book. This isn't a church that Paul is going to profit in any way off of. Paul didn't plant this church. Right? This is a second, like Paul discipled some guys, and this other guy named Epaphras went and planted this church. These guys had never met Paul. Paul's not boasting about his congregation and how big the size is, but, but he's suffering for them and he's rejoicing in his suffering because he loves them. His purpose is beyond himself and he knows that he's serving Jesus and these are Jesus' people. And so he rejoices in his suffering for their sake, for their sake. Uh, he, he goes on to, to talk about this uh, in verse 28. He, his longing is that they would all be presented as mature. And then in verse 29, he says, for this I toil struggling with all energy that he powerfully works within me. Verse, verse uh, one of chapter two, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and those in Laodicea. So he's, he's actually, you know, he's talking about a, another region or town there as well. Uh, for, it, because there's, there's churches that are planted for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged and being knit together in love to reach the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Paul, Paul's life is not about Paul. Paul's life is about Jesus and his kingdom. It's about uh, Jesus and others. And we have to, we have to stop uh, navel-gazing. If we're going to, to have a mature walk with Jesus, if we're going to be able to rejoice in suffering, we have to understand that our purpose is beyond ourselves. It's about making the gospel known. That's what Paul says in verse, verse 26, or uh, actually verse 25. He says, this is the stewardship that God has given me for you to make the word of God fully known. This mystery, we're going to come back to that word fully, but this mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God <clears throat> chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. This mystery is not something that is, that is actively currently being hidden that only a few people can figure out. Paul's referring to this is, this is a mystery that had been hidden for generations and for years. What exactly is God doing through these Jewish people, these Israelite people who he's committed to? They keep messing it up. He stays faithful. You know, but what is he doing? Well, he's moving toward Jesus. It's all moving toward Jesus. And Jesus blows the whole thing open to where it is now no longer about just the Jewish people, but about all who would call upon the name of Jesus. So now the Gentiles, the dirty Gentiles that, I mean, you talk about racial tension, you talk about division in a culture, right? We can relate to that, right? There's all kinds of division in our culture. You talk about not being able to understand how people could be in the same room and have fellowship and, and love one another. There's lots of tension in our world today and in our culture. Listen, the dirty Gentiles and, and the Jewish people, like there was a division in there. This was not about skin tone. This was about ethnicity. This was about who God loved. And then, you know, the Gentiles didn't want to be, you know, they didn't want to serve a, a Jewish Messiah, right? Like they, they, they felt that exclusivity. And Jesus comes and makes a whole, it's not about Jew, it's not about Gentile. It's a whole new group of people called Christians, called the church. And this is what a good missionary does, is he looks at a culture, they look at a culture and go, what are the pressure points? What are the things that they're struggling with? What are the values that this culture has? I mean, when you go to <clears throat> some remote village in Africa, right, or in India, or you go to serve with Muslim, you know, um, people groups in um, Central and Southeast, like Asia, like you, you don't just start preaching the same way you would here, do you preach something different? No. Preach the same thing. Preach the same gospel. 
but you want to find what, what is it that they value, what is it that they're struggling with, and you want to present the gospel in their terms, right? So, so Paul sees this tension that's going on here, and he's, he's, he's leaning in and making the gospel known to them. Like any missionary that was coming to America would look at our world today and see that we are a divided people, see that we're a people amongst a power struggle between political ideologies. They would see that we're a people that are divided among racial tensions. They would see all that we, you and I see, and, and they would go, okay, man, the gospel is the answer to all of this, right? Like that's the, a good missionary would say, yeah, these people don't need somebody to lead them better on the right or the left or, or from black or white. They, they need the gospel. Like the gospel is what makes peace. That's what he says, verse two of, of chapter two, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the understanding and the assurance and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Like, that, that's the answer, verse 27 of, of, of chapter 1. To, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Like, that's the objective that, that Paul wants to get at Christ. Like, if you're going to make it, like, here's, here's the honest truth. This is what we appreciate with people with authenticity and, and honesty is like life is going to be hard. Anybody that just tries to sell you this bill of goods that life's going to be perfect and you'll have no more struggles, we all sniff that out as BS real quick, right? But what, what we appreciate when somebody says, no, no, life is going to be hard. Here's how you endure. How do you endure? You have a hope. That's how you endure any suffering, right? If you played a sport, right? You ran a race, you're watching the Olympics right now. So, man, I don't think I could swim a 50 meter. Like I'd be gassed at 50 meters of swimming. Swimming's hard. This went 800 meters, like 16 down. Like I, like I, I ain't got that in me, right? You got runners running a long way, but what do, what do they work toward? They know that there's an end to that race. You don't think they feel that? You, you, you if you've tried an athletic feat, you know your lungs start hurting. They're no longer getting the air to your muscles the way that you want. And what do you want to do? You want to quit, right? You want to quit. Your body's telling you, hey, this is not going well. Quit, dude, right? But what do you do? You, you keep going if you've been in a game. Like at some point that whistle is going to blow, the clock's going to expire, and you're, you're done. You made it. You finished, right? As Christians, as, as people, generally, this life's going to be hard. We're going to suffer. We need to know the whistle's going to blow. The trumpet's actually going to sound one day, and it'll be over. Our struggle will be over. And we, we need to know that so that we can make it to the end. When you know that that end is coming, that's what allows you to keep pushing in those, those events or whatever you're, you're doing. As people following Jesus, we need to know that that end is coming. That end will be glory, the hope of glory. And when we have that, we can push through. We can push through. So, but Paul says his purpose is to make the word of God fully known. Now this matters too, because when the, when the gospel just gets reduced to simply evangelize and ask people if they want to go to heaven or not, and they pray that prayer, and then we just move on, that's not a, 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 a compelling ministry purpose that, that gets everybody out of bed in the morning. But what Paul says is his, his calling and our calling is to make the word of God known to all people and fully known to all people. Jesus said it. Too, he, he said, not only is, are you sent in the Great Commission to make disciples and baptize them, he says what? Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Right? So we got to make the word of God fully known. Paul's ministry is to bring all of God's truth to all of God's people. So, yes, it's, it's about the gospel. It's about salvation being found in Christ alone through faith alone. 
Yes, but it, it, it's not simply about that. There is discipleship that goes well beyond that. Uh, not, not, not we graduate from the gospel, but it, it's not just about how do you get out of hell and into heaven, but rather the fullness of this life is found in Christ. That's what he says, the, the, the knowledge of God's mystery, the full assurance of understanding that in verse two of chapter two, which is Christ in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. All the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus. So we just keep preaching Jesus. And so, but here's the deal. It means we don't pull our punches when it comes to teaching all of God's truth. Jesus showed up on the scene, John 1, and he says he is the image of the invisible God. He makes him known. What we cannot see, Jesus makes him known. And he's full of what? Grace and truth. So if we're going to be ministers and missionaries in this world, we don't we're not afraid of teaching all of God's truth. We have to, to come in ready to unload all that God has taught us. And that means even if the culture doesn't like what we're teaching, we still proclaim Jesus. We still proclaim the fullness of his truth. So to make the word of God fully known, we gotta preach Christ, we gotta preach the full truth, and that means we don't pull our punches to avoid offending the culture. And that's just that list of just increasing in today's world of what we you know, can and can't say and what gets you canceled and all that stuff. So we talked about how the church at Colossae was planted by a guy from Colossae who went to Ephesus where Paul was doing ministry training and planting a church in Ephesus. And you're familiar with the book of Ephesians, right? And then he went back to Colossae. Well, if you don't know what happened in Ephesus, you should read in Acts 16 and 17. You need to read what happened in Ephesus because the whole culture, the whole economic structure and and well-being of Ephesus was turned upside down because part of Ephesus' uh, economic like, well-being was built upon manufacturing these idol statues and these, like, all of these you know, idol figurines, like all of, all of this stuff. When people started turning, turning and worshiping Jesus, people started uh, denouncing all of those idols, and now people aren't showing up to work to make them. People aren't showing up to the market to buy them. It literally brought in a market recession because the gospel turned everything upside down. Paul didn't apologize for that. He didn't change the gospel so that these Ephesian people could still make in their money. He just preached Jesus, and he let the chips fall where they may, trusting Jesus to handle the results. So you and I, yeah, it's not going to be popular as we preach the full truth, that God does have a, an intention and an unapologetic agenda for what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman and what it means to be in a family, what it means to be in a marriage. God, it, it's, it's very clear. And we don't, we don't pull our punches. If we're going to make the word of God fully known in this world, we don't, we don't pull our punches and apologize. Now, it doesn't mean we become bigots and, and, and we don't love people. There's, a, there's, a, there's an important way to do that. It's not the entire point of the sermon, but there's a, there's a way to do that. But it certainly doesn't mean that we just downshift and pull our punches. So we, we <clears throat> make the word of God fully known. So <clears throat> yes, he gave his life that we may re be redeemed, but as redeemer, he has an authoritative word over how we live our life. That means sexuality among other things, but gender and sexuality is becoming increasingly hostile as, as a subject but if we preach Christ, we must preach the full truth in a Christ-like manner, I would add. So it is important, right? So the, but the objective is to make them fully mature, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I've taught you. So let me ask you this. We talked about what your stewardship is, your family, your job. What's your objective in that discipling? What's your, with those that you are called to disciple, what's your objective? Is it, is it simply that you, you pray and hope that they would get saved? 
And that's not wrong. Don't hear me say it. Don't hear what I'm not saying. You absolutely want to long for that and preach the gospel to them and pray for them that they would get saved. But are you good after that? Do you just kind of go, okay, we got them. Right? Or is it just, you know, especially with your kids, is just, they're just not morally embarrassing to you. I remember as a youth pastor, like I had parents literally like bring me their kids and be like, please fix them. Right? Their older brother didn't go so well. Like, I don't, like, please fix them. And what they meant by that was, don't let them become morally embarrassing to me. I'm afraid they're going to party. I'm afraid they're going to, you know, pursue homosexuality. I'm afraid they're going to, you know, be promiscuous. Please help. Right? Now, again, it's not wrong to want your kids to avoid those things. But if we simply reduce our discipleship to getting them saved and avoiding moral failure, we're missing the point. The point is to present them fully mature in Christ. What does that mean? It means they know deeply about Jesus. They know how Jesus is applied to everything in their life. They've seen you repent. You've taught them to repent when you mess up. You've taught them to suffer well. You've taught them to love other people well. You've applied the gospel to their situations in school when everybody else is doing this and you're not. Okay, how do we identify with Jesus in this? You've walked with them in life. Our, our goal, whether it be our kids or the people we're discipling around us, our goal is to present them fully mature in Christ. Maturity is the goal for all of God's people, not just those in, you know, in the pulpit and the ministry. No, it, it, all of us. So you may need to start there and go back to, you know, I think the second sermon in the series or third was, you know, what, what is our hope for all people is that we would be mature, right? That we would grow. So you're not called to just be stagnant. You're called to have your nose in the scripture, to be studying, to be being discipled, be walking with Jesus. So we've got to move beyond just moral lessons, and into knowing Christ, fully mature in him. <clears throat> All right, and then lastly, we've got to see what's happening in our life as something that will be used by God to advance his kingdom and to help others. So we've got to see what's happening in our life as something that will be used by God. We may not know how, we may not know exactly why and how it plays out, but we have to trust that what we're going through will not be wasted. It will not be wasted, whether that is cancer, whether that is trauma, whether that is whatever suffering you are enduring, we, we have to trust that it will not be wasted. It will be used by God to advance his kingdom and help others. And this is what will transform our view of suffering, right? When we let Jesus lead, when we decide to follow him, and, and, and that means it's going to change the trajectory of our life. When we live for others, and, and when we live for Jesus and for others, and we decide that our purpose is to make him known, now we're much closer to being able to rejoice in our sufferings. Now we're much closer to being able to rejoice whenever things get hard. Romans 5, uh, verses 3 through 5 says, not only that, and Paul's talking about God's glory, right? Just before that, he's talking about the privilege of sharing God's glory. But it says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 1 Peter 4, 13 says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So it's not that we just are happy in our sufferings for the sake of our sufferings. It's that we rejoice knowing that there will be a day whenever his glory is revealed and our suffering will make sense. So 
We have to be careful. We, we don't want to equate suffering with maturity. We don't want to equate the people who can go out and get their, you know, like walk themselves into the most suffering do not mean they are the most mature and prized Christians, right? It might, <laughs> Peter later says, you might suffer for being foolish, right? And that doesn't bring honor to Jesus, right? If you just think you're just gonna go run your mouth and get locked up just because you're running your mouth, well, that doesn't bring honor to Jesus. That's a mission he didn't send you on, right? But if you suffer for following Jesus, yeah, you can rejoice in that. Right? And so we, we don't want to just say, oh, well, man, that's what's really going to get me credibility in the church is let me find out how to suffer. No, that's not the point. The point is to make Jesus known, to follow him, and to stand firm. But when you suffer for that, when you suffer as a result of that, now we can rejoice because we know that God's going to use it. We know. Now, that doesn't mean that that rejoicing pushes out all grief and all pain. Okay? We don't have this plastic faith. When, when Paul teaches about death in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, listen, it's not that I don't want you to grieve. I just don't want you to grieve as though people, I don't want you to grieve like people who don't have any hope. What does that imply? It implies we're still grieving, right? Jesus, does, Jesus weeps with, with, with Mary and Martha and the, and the family of Lazarus. Even though he knows he's about to call that guy back out of the grave, he still stops and weeps with them. Why? Because it's, it's right. It's right to feel that to enter into that. That's okay. So I don't want you to hear Paul just got this big old smile on while he's in prison going what he's going through. No, but in spite of the pain he's feeling, he's able to rejoice, knowing that it will be used. Um, there's a British medical doctor named Helen Rosevere um, years ago, and she served in Zaire, Africa, uh, as a medical missionary and uh, for more than like 20 years. And for about 12 and a half of those years, she had a, you know, it was crazy, but it was generally wonderful and, and just a good blessed time of ministering um, to, to that people, more than like a half a million people or so. And it's grown, that area's grown since then. But in 1964, um, a revolution overwhelmed the country and the, the, the culture and the climate there shifted. And she and her coworkers were thrown into five and a half months of unbelievable brutality and torture. So much so that on one occasion, she was on the verge of being executed, this doctor, and a 17-year-old student came to her defense, and as a result, he was savagely beaten, kicked like a soccer ball, and left for dead. And she was sick about it. Dr. Rosevere was sick. For, for a moment, she thought that God had forsaken her. Even though she didn't doubt his reality, she thought that God had forsaken her. Anybody, any of you been there where you're struggling? You're like, I know that there's no other truth. I know that God is there. I, I couldn't abandon my faith, but I wonder if he's still here. I wonder if he's here with me. Anybody struggled with that? I've had seasons like that. I, I can't abandon my faith. There's no other explanation for this glory that, that is out there, but I struggle to know, are you here right now? That was her. That's where she was. But God stepped in, and, and, he, and he overwhelmed her with the sense of his own presence, and he reminded her of this truth. He said something along the lines to her of, hey, 20 years ago, the Lord said, you asked me for the privilege of being a missionary, for the privilege of being identified with me. Jesus reminded her, these are not your sufferings. These are my sufferings. And as the force of that hit home, the doctor said she was overcome with a great sense of privilege. Helen Roosevelt's sense of identifying with Christ, her identity being with Jesus, of, of union with him, was elevated by her suffering, and so she was able to rejoice. Paul is teaching a similar thing, rejoicing 
in the oneness that he feels as he participates with Christ in his suffering. So we skipped over this, this passage, or this uh, pretty complex statement that Paul makes in chapter, er, uh, yeah, chapter 1, verse 24. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, that is one of the most highly debated verses in all of history. Like, there's been a lot of ink spilled um, by a lot of the- theologians and people trying to decide exactly what he means by that. But, and, and, and frankly, it's not super clear, but what we know is what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean that he is participating in the atoning work of Christ. He doesn't mean that, that, what, that Christ's work was somehow left a little bit undone and Paul had to kick it over the, the finish line. No, no, no. He doesn't mean that there was anything lacking in the atoning work of Jesus. When Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished. Hey, there, was no, there was no question about that. So it's not saying that Paul is suffering and, and by Paul's suffering, he's sort of helping Jesus finish the job. No, what we know through scripture after scripture is that the work of Jesus providing salvation is finished, it's done. But what does, what does Paul mean here? Well, I think what we see is that there becomes this, this identification between Christ and his church through suffering. That the very kingdom of God that you and I are a part of, that we rejoice in, was brought to us through what? Through suffering. You realize that, right? You realize that every, all the disciples and everybody thought that the Messiah and even Jesus when he was there, they're all going, hey, when are you going to take the throne? Like, when are you going to show those Romans who's boss? When are you going to get back on the throne and put Israel into power, right? That's what they all thought it would be, this military salvation that would come. But what does Jesus do instead? He says, I've not come to be served, but to serve. And to actually give my life as a ransom for many. This is how the kingdom of God was purchased and launched, was through Jesus' own suffering. So there's this connection between his church and the people that he's called to follow him and suffering. And when we identify with Jesus and we suffer for Jesus' sake, our relationship with Jesus gets amplified, right? So in, in some sense, the kingdom has always been advanced by this suffering. And so as Paul is going through this, he sees the kingdom being advanced. He knows that's a part of how this is gonna go. What a perspective shift, right? If you think you got into this Christianity thing so that you could be healthy, wealthy, and happy, you're gonna be really, really frustrated and really, really distraught whenever you begin to suffer. But if you get into this thing knowing that, man, my reward is on the other side. My reward is whenever I get to heaven. And my calling in between here and now with every breath that I have left is to make him known. And I'll do it at any cost and at any, in any degree. It will be hard. It will be easy. Paul says, I'm toiling. I'm struggling, right? This is not easy work. If you're going to do ministry work, if you're going to love people, disciple your kids or people that are around you, walk with addicts, walk with people who are struggling, it will be hard. Amen? It will be hard. But when we know that that's our calling and our reward comes on the other side, man, now we can do that work. Now we can suffer well and we can rejoice and actually grow in our relationship with Jesus because we realize, oh man, Jesus told me to expect this. Right? He says, no, listen, no servant, no student is greater than their teacher. He says, if they hated me and persecute me, they're going to do it to you too. This world crushed Jesus. We're following him. We're signing up to get crushed. Like, this is a part of it. But we don't, the crushing doesn't 
destroy us. The crushing doesn't push us beyond despair. It pushes us into the bosom of Jesus. I think it's, I'm gonna, I don't have the quote look, written down, so I'm going to butcher it. But I think it was Spurgeon that said, man, the rock of ages that throw, that made, God bless the waves that throw me into the rock of ages. Like that, that becomes our, our posture is that when we see suffering, we, it throws us into Jesus' bosom and we grow with him. So when we have the right perspective about what our purpose is, we can see our life is to make Jesus known to the world. And when we think about that now, we have a different perspective. And we can realize that, that actually our greatest sufferings are going to turn into some of his greatest opportunities. You realize that. And you may not, listen, I know some of you are suffering like right now and you're not, like, you're not eager to know how God's going to use you in the life of other people. But I, I can tell you that I've seen that work happen in people. I've seen people come to me in middle-aged adult and saying, hey, something really tragic happened to me as a kid. And it affected me for years, and I'm, I'm still getting healing. But I want you as the pastor to know so that if somebody else goes through something similar, I want to be able to help them. Right? So your greatest suffering is going to turn into one of God's greatest opportunities through you. Your marriage is hard right now. At some point, God's going to be able to use you in the life of somebody whose marriage is also hard. You've been divorced. You're, you're being left. You've been abandoned by somebody. Like your, your marriage ended despite your best efforts. Like God's going to use you someday to walk with somebody whose marriage is about to end. Right? You, you have a cancer diagnosis and it's hard and you don't know what's going to happen. God's going to use you someday to walk with somebody who's in a similar situation. Do you see how this, this works? And do you see how in that we get to participate in the work of Christ? We get to participate in the ministry of Christ. And, and here's the good news. Our Jesus does not ask us to do anything that he has not first done himself. Get your communion cups if you don't have them yet. And let's gaze deeply into this truth that our Jesus does not ask us to give of our lives without first giving of his own. Because it would be overwhelming to think about this call to give our lives and to suffer with him, Right? But it's good news to know that this is, not, this is not a boss that's just ready to make us do some job that he didn't want to do. No, this is a good Savior, the best leader, the shepherd of all shepherds that said, I'm going to call you to give your life, but not before I'm going to give my own. And we take this meal each week to remind us that this is where our hope is anchored. And I want to be clear, you don't gain favor with God through suffering or good works. You only gain favor with God through Jesus Christ and what he has done. And so we remind ourselves of this. And we rejoice and thank God for a Savior who didn't come to serve, but to serve. And to give his life for a ransom for many. Amen? It's good news, church. It's the seal of the love of our Savior. The King who is on the throne gave his life for us. If you're here and you're not a Christian, would you consider surrendering to Jesus and what I mean by that is, you're a sinner, just like I was. Just like, we're all sinners. We need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, the, the call of him is to simply confess that you're a sinner. You need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. And you make him the Lord of your life, and you'll be saved today in this moment. That offer stands for you. Enter the kingdom of God today. And then you could take this meal 
with true perspective and meaning. But if you're, if you're not there yet, don't, don't take this meal. Instead, just observe and, and maybe ask God to reveal himself to you. But for those of you who are followers of Jesus, take that bread in the top of that cup and remember Jesus' body being broken. And he says, take and eat. And as his body was broken, his blood was poured out. He gave it all for our salvation. Jesus took the cup that night and he says, this cup will forever remind you, my people, of my blood. Take and drink. I'm going to pray and we're going to worship. God, I ask for your help. to make the good news of the gospel known right now to all people who are are in earshot, whether they're in the room or online, that the good news of the gospel would overwhelm us, that the love of our Savior would overwhelm us. And if there are any here who have not yet trusted you, that that love would overwhelm them and that would bid them to come and to fall into the arms of the Savior who gave his own life so that they may be saved. And for the rest of us, May that love compel us. As it talks about in 2 Corinthians 5, we're compelled by the love of Christ to become ministers and ambassadors of reconciliation. There's a world out there hurting and longing to know of the riches that are found only in Jesus Christ. Lord, would you make us your people who are eager to put you on display? Would you transform us? As we sing the good truths of who you are, may you transform us today. And send us out to make your name known. We ask these things now in that name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, the altar's open. Um, You can kneel, fall at his feet, come to the altar, stand, worship, raise hands. We want, let's respond to Jesus as we sing together. Oh, I heard a thousand